it's interesting how you can listen to that which is very familiar and has almost become rote to us, and it can evoke so many different thoughts and responses. When you come to the portion today, um, it presents us with a little bit of a dilemma of sorts. It seems a little odd that God would even think about leading us into temptation. And that is unless he's cruel or sadistic. After all, isn't Jesus urging us to pray that his father would not lead us into something he doesn't do? <clears throat> Book of James, chapter 1, verse 13, tells us this. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So what do we make of this phrase, lead us not into temptation? What do we do with that? So I want to look a little bit closer at a couple important issues. <clears throat> and I have to tell you uh, that today, uh, this particular message has been, um, there's, a, there's a level of one wonder or questioning or something about it that has occurred to me over the last several weeks in anticipation of this message. Because there is, uh, unfortunately, uh, an individual, a very famous individual in, in alliance circles anyways, <clears throat> who, who back in May passed away into the presence of the Lord, and for whom a great deal of tribute was given, rightly so for the things that he was able to do in terms of impact around the world. And I refer to a, a gentleman by the name of Ravi Zacharias and the ministry that he founded, Global Ministry, RZIM. If you're not familiar with the organization, uh, it, it, it's, been, uh, it's had a huge impact. And yet, following his passing, there has come out a lot of stuff that simply runs contrary to what was preached and taught and uh, observed externally in his world and in his life. And it, it gives me pause and ought to give us pause, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Lead us not into temptation. There is no one here who is immune to temptation. If you think you're bigger than the things that will come at you from whatever source, things of your own choice, your own doing, or things that are thrown at you or come at you by others trying to pull you away to something else. If you think you're immune, you're mistaken. None of us, none of us are immune. None of us are perfect. And that's not, that's not to simply make an excuse for whatever it is that I want to do. It simply is an acknowledgement of the reality 
that the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we don't like to talk about wickedness of heart. We kind of perceive ourselves as being pretty good folk. But there is stuff that can come our way and comes in the form of, to use the language of this portion of the Lord's Prayer, temptation. <clears throat> so there are several issues that I'd like to look at with you. First is this. The first issue is the meaning of a word, the meaning of the word temptation that comes to us. Uh, really, there are two basic ways of trying to understand this word that is used, translated in some places as temptation, and in other portions of Scripture, it's translated in English as trial. But the same word is used. It's just interesting how they, the context determines which one they they choose at that point. And so in the meaning of the word temptation, it won't do it. There's, there's, there's no, it won't do me any good to pronounce the Greek word to you today because it doesn't really have a, uh, a, a close cousin in terms of English that makes it, oh yeah, I recognize that word. You wouldn't get temptation or trial from this Greek word, so I won't even bother with it. But the point is that it's there. And it's translated either temptation or trial in most of the portions of Scripture. We'll come to come of the, to some of those in a moment. I, I want to look at it because there's two basic ways of understanding the word. First is positively. Positively. We, when we see it as a trial or a test, there's a positive aspect to it. But there's also a negative side when we see it as a solicitation to do evil. The same word is used, and you can view it either way. It is something that comes to you and either can uh, make you better or make you bitter. It can make you stronger, make you weaker, depending on what your response is to it. I, I, I want to turn, uh, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to do that, uh, in the, to the book of James for just a moment. <clears throat> because there are some verses that are that come to light that are that are helpful. I think they provide insight for us in the first chapter of that particular book. And and you'll read, for instance, in verse two of James chapter one, where James says, "Consider it joy, or count it all joy, uh, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds." There's your word test or trial, but it's also translated temptation in other spots. Same as in Matthew 6, 13, same word. Because you know that the testing, the trying of your faith develops perseverance. And then, and then he goes into this, one thing develops, and it's like a cascade, like a waterfall. One thing leads to another. And the positive aspect, consider it, counter it, pure joy, when those situations come that you have to face the trials of many kinds. Verse 2, <clears throat> if you go down a little bit further, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. There's your word test or temptation. Same word. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. We read that earlier. For God cannot be tempted by evil, 
nor does he tempt anyone. <clears throat> but each one is tempted. Same word translated trial by James is here translated tempted. When by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Um, you, may, you may live or present an image on the outside to people because it's the thing that you want to do. It's putting your best face forward. But it, is but it is very possible that what you do on the outside is not who you are on the inside. Not because of your sinfulness, but because of things that you allow to go unaddressed in your life that you think no one will ever find out about. I think if we believed that when the scripture says uh, that he who covers his sin will not prosper. Or when the scriptures say, be sure your sin will find you out. If we believe that, I think it might be a bit of a deterrent to the prospect of, yes, that's exactly what's going to be done. That's exactly what's going to happen. There is that inevitable, if not on this side of heaven, there is that inevitable point when, as Romans says, each one of us is going to give account of our life before God, Romans 14, 12. We all get to do that. doesn't make a difference how old you are. doesn't make a difference what kind of work you do. Preachers, teachers, repair persons, IT people, whatever it is, the scriptures call us and tell us that we all get to give account. So we face these trials or temptations that come our way. That's wrapped up in the meaning of the word. That's the first issue. So when we, when we translate, as in James does, trials on a couple spots or temptation as another, it's a positive or a negative thing, depending on how you look at it and what direction that's pulling you or you're following after. The second issue is, is simply this. It's the clear teaching of Scripture. Uh, there, there ought not to be any confusion about this whole business, about what, what, what is this business, this temptation? Lead us not into what's involved with that. And there are, there are a couple things that I think are pretty clear. We read from verse 13, one of them just a moment ago. So let me just make this observation. God never leads you or me to a place where you are forced to do evil. You can't say, I didn't have a choice. You can't say that. We always have a choice. He doesn't force us. So the answer to the question, God, what is this about in terms of God cannot be tempted by evil or he doesn't tempt anyone? The answer to that question is no, God does not do that. James 1.13 is pretty clear in terms of that. He cannot 
tempt or be tempted. His character is holy. Holiness cannot abide this whole unholy action or behavior that uh, we deal with in our world. And God does not set us up for failure because that's just the way it is. He deals with us according to our need. He, he knows our sinfulness and he provides resource for that. There's a portion in First John I'd like you to look at with me. And, and it, the, the kinds of things that get thrown at us are, are always rather fascinating. First uh, John in uh, chapter 2. And if I can find that, I know it comes before the book of the Revelation. So let me find it. All right, here we go. First John 2, verses 14 to 17. And again, this is this we read from James, you know, one of the early church leaders. And now we're reading from John, the beloved disciple. And he makes these observations in verses 14 and following. He says this, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For everything in the world, and he gives three categories here, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And in this particular portion of Scripture, um, there are three arenas. We sometimes refer to them as lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life might be a more familiar word that we use to describe those. But those, those are things that come at us and seek to pull us down, pull us away from the place of dependence upon the Father. And it's the kind of stuff that you and I will get to deal with all along the journey. I want to talk for a moment about the purpose of the experiences that we have. What does it do? What, what do the trials or temptations do in us uh, and accomplish? What is their purpose? And, and uh, there are four, four things, I think. I, yeah, four things. It's kind of bright to look at it. I'll look at it over here. It's a little bit easier to see it over here. The kinds of things that may be thrown at you, we read from 1 John 2. And the purpose of those experiences, that those experiences serve, the things that come at you. First of all, they can show us what is in our heart, what's in our heart. Now, we, we quoted the Jeremiah 17, 9 verse that talks about um, the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of our heart. If you like New Testament portion, you can go to Romans 3. It says all of our righteousness is like a filthy rag. It, 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 the things that we do, will never satisfy or please God. They'll always end up coming short. And it can show in terms of how we respond to the temptations or trials that we deal with. It can show us our heart. And we ought not to be afraid of that. 
sometimes we just don't want to face our heart. We just kind of hope that maybe God will be looking somewhere else at somebody else and not me. But instead, the scriptures tell us that the eyes of the Lord run all over the place to look after people to see if they would have their heart toward him. And I think there are three things that can be shown in our heart. This you won't find up there, so just kind of tune in with me for just a moment. It can commend us when we respond to trials, like Abraham was commended for the faith that he exercised in God, and, and, and it was credited to him for righteousness. That's one thing that it can be shown in our heart. A second thing is that it can show us a place of repentance in our heart. And the Old Testament character David is the classic illustration. David who chooses uh, in a moment of unguarded looking too long in the wrong spot, he allowed something to settle into his heart and it resulted in a deed and a action that not only resulted in him taking another man's wife, but also being complicit and responsible for the death of her husband. So uh, he commits adultery and he essentially murders someone. Now, now that that's that's not what you want to put on your resume when you stand before God. You know, it just it's not the kind of thing you want to pop up there. Say, Lord, let me show you what I did here. You'd want to bury that one deep or get the whiteout out and try to deal with it that way. But but the end of the story is not that David did that. This one whom the scriptures describe as a man after God's own heart. If, if you just stop there, that's not so much a man after God's own heart. But it's what he does when he discovers or acknowledges his sinfulness. We, Psalm 51 is full of that. It led him to repentance. We sang it. Create in me clean heart. When Psalm 51 says... Um, According to thy loving kindness, Father, have mercy on my sinful, wicked soul. There's a, a song that goes into that, but but it's it's making your humble confession, and so the awareness of the trial or the temptation that comes to you, uh, when we don't pass the test positively with commendation and we fall miserably, we choose to repent of that. Of course, you can always find a third response and that is a response of judgment. Commendation, repentance, or judgment. If you want a character study, you can look at Saul. Um, chosen by God, by the people, led the charge, but finished well at all, and ended up being 
judged, removed from his place in the kingdom. So it can show us our heart whenever we run into trials or temptations that come our way. It can show us what's inside. It can also help us clarify important issues in our life. It helps us see what's important. Jesus, when he went to the wilderness, had time in that temptation account from the Gospels to to clarify what was really important. What are you going to do? Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to follow the enemy of your soul? It can clarify things that are important. It can also fortify your will. When you face the trials or temptations that come your way, it can reinforce some things. It can help you discover that there is and can be victory in this situation. You don't always, every time temptation comes your way, you don't always have to be on the losing end of that thing. You can choose to live by faith in Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit that can enable you to overcome the stuff that comes your way. You don't have to be every time a victim. There may come those times when temptation comes your way and, and, and you just choose, I don't want to fight against this. I'd rather give in. It will feel good for me. It's something I want. And you cave in. And when that kind of time comes, that doesn't mean that it's the end of the story. It means you need to fail forward. And you need to fail in repentance to come before God. It can fortify your will. One final thing is it can encourage others by your example. When you succeed, when God gives you triumph over a temptation that comes your way, it can be of encouragement. Well, I saw so-and-so was able to, to win that battle. And whatever it is that comes at you, you may it may be abuse issues, it may be substance abuse issues, it, it can whatever it is, when you win in terms of the overcoming of that temptation or trial, when you win, it can be encouraging to other people. That they know it's possible, that they know there's a possibility that I can win. And I may have not won in the past, but by God's grace, I, I long to be able to learn how to win in the next round. And in the journey of life, it's all a part of the importance of uh, discovering the sufficiency of Christ along the way. The clear teaching of Scripture. One other area is what I refer to as issue number three, and that is this, that when God sends a trial in our life, it's often turned into a temptation by Satan. I want to go back a little bit to uh, the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 4 because there's there's this account of the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, not very far away from not very far away from the 6th chapter where we are. So go back a couple pages. A couple observations. 
Matthew 4 and the temptation of Jesus is a case in point that when the trial comes into our life, it, it is sometimes used by the enemy of our soul, Satan, to tempt us to pull us away from him. Matthew 4 reads this way. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now you stop and chew on that for a moment. It almost feels like God is trying to set his son up. But that's not what's going on. Mark uses a, new, a different word. Instead, instead of Matthew's word or, or Luke, led by the Spirit, the scriptures say he was driven by the Spirit. In other words, forced by the Spirit to confront issues that were going to show his mettle, his choice, what he believed, what he would uh, adhere to in terms of the challenges so that the temptation that would come or trial that would come could be responded to positively. And after fasting 40 days, verse 2 says, and 40 nights he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Without going into a whole sermon on the temptation and its value for us, keep in mind a couple things. If you've ever been hungry, you, your primary driver there is, I want to satisfy the hunger in my soul or the hunger in my body. Most of us don't know what it's like to be hungry or to go hungry or to miss meals. Most of us could probably afford to miss a few meals along the way. And so there's probably a little argument at that point. But, but we don't know what it's like to have the rumbling of the stomach for days and days because we have no access to food. The great state of Texas dealt with a whole lot of issues this, this past week weather-wise that resulted in them losing electricity and water. Now, what do you do to keep warm? Do you go out and chop up your furniture? Where do you burn that? You don't have a fireplace. What if you don't have a fireplace? What if the LP gas is out and you're stuck? How do you deal with that? When that kind of thing happens, you get desperate and you get creative in terms of trying to deal or address those particular issues. When you're hungry, the primary driver is... I need to satisfy that. Now, how long had Jesus gone without food? What do we read? 40 days, a month and change. And I guarantee after that period of time, you're going to be dreaming food. You're going to be thinking food. And so the enemy comes with what can be the trial that comes into Jesus' life in terms of what he's going to depend on, and says, you know, I've got a creative alternative for you, Jesus. If you just take and turn these stones into bread, it'll all be okay. Could Jesus have done that? I believe so. 
Maybe he had the power. If he turns water into wine, I don't think, you know, stones into bread would be a difficulty. If he can raise somebody from the dead, if he can feed five, I don't think stones would be a problem. But it was Satan attempt, Satan's attempt to try to pull him away from the greater priority of the importance of living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The rest of the story goes on, <clears throat> talks about how he tempts him, essentially in, in all the, the things that we read in James, but just illustrated here, in terms of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, those kinds of things. He takes him up to a holy city, stands him on the highest point of the temple, and says, if you are the Son of God. And interesting thing to me in that, that, that portion of this uh, account is uh, you won't catch it. You won't catch it uh, initially unless you are aware of the fact that this is what, this is, what is called a first-class conditional sentence. Oh, that's just Greek. That's just language. And what is seen, what it means is it is assumed to be true. He's not wondering if, say, if Jesus could or could do this thing, could turn stones to bread, could throw himself down and allow the angels to be. You could do that. He assumes that to be the case. But it doesn't give Jesus any, any more reason not to lean into his father and cave in to the temptation that's there. It gives him all the more reason. Do not put, for instance, verse, verse 7, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the use of God's word to deal with the temptation that comes your way or my way. The devil takes him to the high mountain. He says, all, all this I'll give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. The need was addressed <coughs> in terms of the material need, physical need of Jesus when he chose to go the path of obedience. Who led Jesus to be tempted? The Holy Spirit did. Who did the tempting? The devil, Satan. The trial that came in his life Satan would long to turn into temptation. Remember we said the two different meanings of the word. The positive one in terms of the growth, the positive response, or the negative response when the word ties to pull away to cave in. Now I suspect for all of us in the journey, there is our case in point, your case in point. What, what is it that, that you deal with? And I guess this is the thing that has been weighing on my heart when I think of the situation that has come to light with Ravi Zacharias. I'm, I'm not here to, I, I can't, I can't, I can't wrap my head around some of that stuff. I, I, I just have a hard time. But, I'm, but I know a couple of things. One, God is God and I am not. And so he is the one ultimately who will deal with the Ravi Zacharias's and the Chuck Davises of the world. He'll deal with that. And 
even if a portion of what has come out is true. It shows the, the wickedness, the, the bad bend in the heart of men to go after things that are not noble, are not true, are not just, are not lovely. Philippians 4, 8 stuff. Not thinking on those things. You're settling down in this misty lowland where things are not good. And all, all I would say is, we, we talked a moment about how, a moment ago, how it can show us our heart. And we said there either can be commendation, repentance, or judgment. And that's true for all of us. And if there are things that you are successfully keeping under wraps that no one else knows about except you, know that God knows as well. And he is the one to whom you give account. What you do with that when you're aware of it is the key piece. Am I going to flee to Jesus, cast my care on him? Make my humble confession, First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the haunting questions that I will have to bring before the Father is, did that person repent before they passed on into the presence of God? I don't know. And it's not my job to sit and be judge, jury, and executioner. What do we make of all of this? Lead us not into temptation. There are at least a couple things, two things I'd suggest. The first is this, that testings and trials are normal for the Christian life. It, it comes with life. If you think that once I accept Jesus, then everything's going to be just hunky-dory fine, and I won't be wrestling with a problem at all, and what I watch or what I do or the things that I've done in the past, I won't even be bothered by that. I know. Sorry. If we've conveyed that image, then we are mistaken in what we are teaching. But there is power in the person and work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to face the temptations that are normal that come our way. But we are able to overcome them by the power of his spirit, Christ in us. The second thing is that when we cave into and respond wrongly to the trial, it becomes temptation. And perhaps this is why there's so little difference in the basic meaning of the word. The same word. But remember, remember uh, a, a verse that, that is good, good medicine for us, the book of Hebrews and uh, chapter 4. And perhaps you're familiar enough and know it by heart. But it's in this portion where, where the writer is talking about 
this great high priest, Jesus. And he says this, verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. We possess. We profess, rather. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Hebrews 4.15 assures us of one who is able to enable us to live in victory. Even when we fail, at least we can fail forward. By God's grace, with, with, that, with, with, with everything that I've been reading and seeing as I tried to drill down into that whole issue, and I tell you, I, it, Apart from A.B. Simpson and A.W. Tozer, I probably have as many books on my shelf from Robbie Zacharias as any other Alliance writer. Maybe Keith Bailey would be three. But but at any rate, I, I you know what, what do I do? So here I have, let's, let's say I have ten books. I, I know I probably have that many. Ten of, of his book writings that he had. What, does that mean that this life is, is all counterfeit and void and there's no truth? I, I don't. I can't get there because I believe all truth is God's truth. And when you, uh, when you understand and read the stuff and it's true, it's truth, it resonates with Scripture. And, and I'm okay with that. Even when action seems to contradict it and move a different direction, uh, I don't think that neg- neg- it certainly doesn't reinforce, but it doesn't negate the truth. It, it, it causes you a question, why did he not apply that for him at that point. It's the same question I ask, why don't you apply it for your own heart when we deal with things? I think that's that's important. And, and we all fall. We all fail. Pick the particular issue, your struggle. Sometimes you win, sometimes it doesn't happen. What do you do with that? I, you have to fall forward on your face before the Father and say, Father, I didn't, I didn't win on that one. And so I make my humble confession to you. Forgive me according to your loving kindness. Have mercy. Have mercy on my sinful soul. Next time we hear the Lord's Prayer, or when you pray that prayer, Um, and you get to that phrase, lead us not into temptation. Remember, it doesn't have to be a losing case. It can be a positive thing. Remember that you have much to be grateful for in terms of what the experience will help you to learn in terms of a look in your own heart and what's important to you and what can strengthen you and what can encourage others. We don't have to be the losers at that point. God has purpose, even in allowing us to encounter stuff that can pull us away from him. That's the work of the enemy. 
or it can lean up into him. That's the work of God and his great grace. Next week, we look at a portion, but deliver us from evil, that kind of goes in tandem with this issue of the temptation or trial that we may face. And there's more to discover there. Will you pause with me for prayer? Uh, Father, today I believe it would just be good for us to just ignore everybody else in the room and understand that it's you and me. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And you tell us that your word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you know the things that we think about, we dwell on. The things that we do. Things that we commit, things that we omit. And for a moment, we don't think that we're perfect people here. Our perfection, if there is that perfection is found only in Jesus. It's our standing in him that's key. And a heart that acknowledges its sinfulness and repents is in a far better place than one that will one day stand judged because of its unrepentance. So as we clothe close ourselves in with you, we quiet our heart, and we simply make our humble confession. You know, the things that we have done, or even the things that we continue to do, that may be violations of your word, where we fall short, we miss the mark. We simply make our humble confession and ask that the wonderful, matchless grace of Jesus would reach to us. Thank you that there is forgiveness with you. And even in this disciples' prayer, lead us not into temptation. There's room for us to come to the foot of the cross. Accept our thanks for all that you have done and meet us at our point of need. And we will thank you for what you will do. Sinners all saved by your great grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.